Yeah. No, just 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 one comment. Uh, I I actually I don't see such a change of the German in the German attitude uh, towards towards uh, Second World War, the Holocaust. I don't know. You obviously see something there. There is an unwillingness to 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 see the the responsibilities yeah, what, or whatever. What, which uh, uh, what I see, and it's not me. It's surveys. Uh, it's scientists who see it. There's an um, an ever-growing gap between the official stance, which is um, admirable of the German government, and the attitude of the uh, most of the population who are just fed up with it, who don't want to hear about it anymore, and um, and and that is is something which I'm curious about. Is it? Is that even seen as a problem in the government? And if it is seen as a problem, um, how, uh, how it has been approached, if it has been approached? Well, I've been living outside of Germany for, for a long time now, but uh, obviously I, I don't know, I don't know these surveys as, as you know mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel that um, in Germany you've got, af right after the war, you just had too many of the old party comrades, the brown shirts who were still around, who uh, occupied also important positions, who were in, uh, in, the, in the justice system, who were in the ministries, they were in the foreign office, they were in the justice ministry and interior ministry, they were all over. And um, actually this has changed and they were well, this was, of course, also a biological solution, but, but other than that, also in, in the late 60s and the 70s, they were really thrown out. There was the student movement, and, uh, and that's when young people really started to question also what, what had happened. And it was not just something that the government postulated, but uh, we had uh, young people in the 70s, uh, 18, I, I was at that time, I was 18, I was, I was born after the war in 1952, and, um, and this is when, when we started to ask questions and uh, we were going into the archives in every small town, uh, going to see you know, what, what did our parents do, what they didn't do, where did they look away, where were they actively participating. Right. And this is something that uh, really is something that you'll see until today. There is no, mm -hmm. there is no letting up of that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, you, you can't, have a paper, you can't have, you see a, a TV channel or whatever, every day you've got something on the Holocaust, you've got something on the, so it's not that they're fed up or whatever. It's one of the things that there is an uneasiness of, of young people now, that uh, they say, you know, it's, I, I'm not responsible for what happened. No, they are not. And uh, I mean, I was not, I was born in 1952. I was not responsible for that, but uh, we grew up with the sensation that we have a special responsibility to see to it that something like that never, never happens again. This is one of the things that I think what we call the Vergangenheitsbewältigung. It's something that uh, is ingrained and uh, it's something that is perhaps difficult for an American to understand. I mean, when you grow up in, in that, and I learned in school, also you heard, oh, you know, young kids, they never heard about, about the German uh, atrocities, the crimes in school. We learned about it in school in the 70s and, and the late 60s. I can tell you, yes, we did. And uh, we grew up with the sensation that um, you would never, for instance, see me uh, singing the national anthem. We were very wary of national symbolisms. 
the flag, national anthem, whatever. You know, this is for my generation. Mm -hmm. This is so far, far away. And uh, but why not have it again? You know, so it's it's something. Obviously, it's, it doesn't have to be nationalistic or so. I came here to the States when I was 19 years old, and I went for my first baseball game, and uh, everybody stood up all of a sudden, you know, and then stood there and said, I asked my friends, what, what is this? And they what, this is what you do, you know? It's, and, uh, and this is, okay, so, so just imagine a be, uh, growing up in a country where these symbols, they don't exist. I grew up uh, celebrating uh, in movies, you know, celebrating the, the American soldiers, you know, who are clobbering the, the, the German army. That's, that's, that's the way we grew up, and, uh, and uh, why not? Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't, I just don't see there, there is no backlash, there is nothing, I think we are, we're still exactly in that, that same direction. With again now, it's just at soccer games, Germans are waving uh, the German flag, but, uh, yeah. but it's no, not for no. patriotic reasons and not because they don't want to hear anything about the past yeah. anymore. Yeah, we, uh, we were talking about that, but uh, I just want, to add something? I wanted to add a couple of thoughts here. I do think vigilance is needed in this area. I worry that as incorrectly the Holocaust is viewed increasingly in certain antagonistic circles as somehow tied to endorsing Israeli existence, something that all of us profoundly believe in, but somehow connecting it that there are forces potentially at work that would argue that the Holocaust should not be taught, that the Holocaust should not be commemorated, commemorated to the same degree because it's a, somehow a way of supporting Israel. And I think we have to be very vigilant to fight against such, such sentiment should it, should it grow. Also, I think there's intentionality, which is the potential desire to pay less attention to the Holocaust and the reality of time that very soon we will be upon the 70th anniversary of liberation of the concentration camps and that the number of survivors in our midst has dramatically declined and Holocaust survivors are part of our global consciousness about the horrors of what happened. And we all have to figure out how to close that gap to the extent uh, that it can. And the last piece I wanna raise about this so I think many of us in our, in our community here, and probably Jews in Europe as well, are shocked by how quickly it appears to be happening that, was so, that, that the kind of anti-Semitism that seemed like it would be socially unacceptable to be espousing in the aftermath of the Holocaust, that suddenly that protective layer appears to be peeling back rapidly, and we worry about that as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you, and, and Hugo wanted to say s something too, but I just wanted to introduce very briefly the concept, uh, and, and I'm sure m many of you know about that, of secondary anti-Semitism, which now in Europe is the, is the main source of anti-Semitism. It's not the old anti-Semitism anti anymore. Nobody says anymore, uh, uh, Hitler was right, or, but what, what, what they do say now is, uh, is uh, they say, well, now look what the Jews do to the Palestinians. That's even worse than Hitler. That's secondary anti-Semitism. Or they say, um, the Jews 
can't stop talking about this damn Holocaust. I mean, my husband, who was t teaching in Germany and who, th who was a rabbi, we heard that all the time, that the Jews can't stop, they finally need to stop talking about the Holocaust. And then, of course, also a, a huge moment of, of secondary anti-Semitism, the notion that the Jews somehow take advantage of the Holocaust again and again and again. That is secondary anti-Semitism, and I know we have that in the Netherlands as well. Yes, <laughs> yes uh, you're totally right. Uh, I recognize your point in, in the also in the questionnaire of, uh, of Seth, of, of the organization. Uh, they come back there. Oh, sorry. Um, so I'm still lucky to, to be on the, on the low side together with Sweden with the four and the five percent uh, out of these questions. Nevertheless, it's four or five percent too much. So I agree totally. How can this happen? Uh, also with a tradition in the Netherlands since the golden age where all Jewish found tolerance in the Netherlands, not because we were better people, we bought uh, with money uh, because we are good traders um, and uh, well-educated people. Um, also we generalize, by the way, uh, because later on the Ashkenazi came to the Netherlands and they were poor. Uh, nevertheless, they, they found a, a place of living in Amsterdam. So a quarter of Amsterdam was Jewish before the war. Um, they were not seen as Jews, but they were seen as Amsterdammers. Mm -hmm. uh, nevertheless, we still feel guilty of not being able to save them, uh, apart from one strike that, that didn't help too much. But my fear is the same as yours, and I think others, and al also of the rally, that it's slipping and sliding now these days uh, that we tolerate more and more on the one side, of course, in, in, uh, in the freedom of speech. It goes further and further what you are allowed to say and what you're allowed to, to, to do. Mm -hmm. So I indeed agree that we should really rethink uh, uh, where is the limit and where should we stand up as democracies and say enough is enough. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I wanted to ask Consul uh, Tanner. Um, I saw a real paradigm change uh, in 2012 in Germany with the with the debate about circumcision. Uh, when we had that debate in in Germany, it was a debate. Very briefly, a German court uh, had prohibited circumcision, and uh, then for a couple of weeks or months only, I think even weeks, because then the government really solved it very quickly. There, there we then had this debate about circumcision. And this debate was filled with so much hatred and with so much antipathy for Jews, and uh, w which was strange anyway, because the original case had been about a Muslim boy. So, it's but this was... Nothing to do with anti-Semitism. Yeah. I'm very sorry, but, but this is a. Uh, Wait a second. Really let me okay. let me ask my mm. question, so, uh, and then you can <laughs> answer with that. It ha doesn't have to do with it. Um, so uh, I, I saw a real paradigm uh, change in that. We well, I think hateful speech is is always part of anti-Semitism, and um, I was wondering. I know that when it started in Germany, the uh, uh, Swiss picked up on that. So. Uh, 
how did you feel feel about that at that time? Did did you see similar things in Switzerland? <coughs> at my knowledge, I uh, I haven't uh, haven't uh, seen that or I haven't heard about that, n not even in the in the media. Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, if it's really if it's really su such an important uh, issue. I don't think so. I, there is uh, there's certainly uh, a lot of things, a lot of. Uh, uh preconception, pre uh, going on about uh, about uh, Jews uh, lately, uh, they they are uh, driven by by many uh, many different uh, <coughs> by many different uh, uh, reasons for 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 they they take the uh, the. Um, the pretext of, uh, of of using uh, these uh, cliches and this, uh, uh, which always circulated in in in, in very uh, specific uh, circles, and uh, it's now I, I I've, I've seen as I told before as I said before, uh, it's 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 changing to uh, to a discussion which is uh, not anymore very very. Uh, Understandable and uh, of course not uh, not not healthy at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> we are, uh, but the circumsci uh, circumscription uh, was was never, for as my in my opinion, was never uh, a subject. I well, I was a about. big deal in 2012. Yeah, also in Switzerland. I, I, uh, mm -hmm. And right now they are discussing it again. I think in Sweden, Barbara, did did you do you want to comment on that? <coughs> not really. <coughs> um, I would like to say that that, th that sort of part of um, what you could call a kind of anti-Semitism is that these questions arise, but it's not on the forefront at all. What is, I what is on the forefront, however, is that we have um, a 13 percent um, uh, uh, representation of very right-wing people in the parliament which is extremely disturbing. And it's so disturbing, in fact, that, that the government, uh, the government pauses without the Sweden Democrats are becoming anti-democratic in the sense that they do not want to work with this party. And the party, of course, uh, consists of very right-wing, uh, I would say, racists, plus a lot of people who are worried about the flow of immigrants into Sweden because of the conflict in the Middle East, primarily than Syria. So we are taking in 80,000 immigrants or refugees, I would say, from Syria this year. And uh, the former prime minister said, we have to think with our heart. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, where should these poor people go? And we have space and we have possibilities Norway, in, interestingly enough, says no, no, we won't, we won't open up our gates. But when it comes to circumcision, I think that's a debate that's sort of very much under the radar at this stage. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted to ask Doug, though. Um, could, could I just, uh, the circumcision, yes. uh, Rich, uh, just, yeah. just one, one, one last thing. As you, yeah. as you said yourself, you know, this is, was uh, triggered by, by it, it was a case of a Turkish boy. 
who then had to go back to the hospital. He was bleeding and, and, and so on and so on. And, uh, and the discussion was first also because it, with, the, with the Muslims, they only do it when they are, what, six, seven, eight years old. So, and, and then there was the big discussion about the psychological impact to have that done at that age. And, um, and then it came to, a, they were discussing a total ban of, 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 of the circumcision. And then the Jewish community came out and said, you know, this is like, uh, like uh, driving us out of, uh, out of Germany. You can't do this. But then we had the do-gooders who said, wait a minute, you know, we out of our humanistic view, we know circumcision is suspect and uh, this should not be allowed. And so we, we can't make any exception. And actually the lawmakers bent, them, bent over backwards to find a way to not endanger any, any, any feelings of the Jewish community. So, so this mm -hmm. was just, it was directed at the four or five million of Muslims in, in, in Germany actually, and not against the Jews. So well, this but in the media, as you, as you might have followed, it was for weeks, it was only about the Jews. And I myself uh, did an editorial for Spiegel and it was, um, uh, it, it got so, so many hate comments that I just couldn't take it. I mean, I just stopped reading because it was too, it was really hateful. So, um, but my question for Doug is, do you think that um, this, uh, when you introduce um, introduce legis legislation like that, like circumcision, like shechita, kosher slaughtering, which has been debated all over Europe, uh, in some countries also again and again. So, do you, is is there a point of saying that that might uh, change how non-Jews perceive Jews if we have have debates like that? So I think, and this may be new for the recently arrived consuls general, but we also faced this issue here in San Francisco about four years ago when a proposed ballot measure would have banned the circumcision of minors in San Francisco and would have criminalized the act and potentially sent doctors who performed circumcisions to prison for, for doing so. I might add that this outrageous proposal presented a golden opportunity for Jewish-Muslim cooperation to help defeat it in a time when we otherwise do have tensions around a number of issues. JCRC, together with the ADL, uh, actually not only fought the measure, but was successful in getting it thrown off of the ballot. And one of the great assets in our, in our effort, and ultimately, by the way, to get a California law passed that will no longer allow such ballot measures trying to ban circumcision. But one of the, uh, one of the supporters within our effort uh, ultimately turned out to be the city attorney's office in San Francisco that originally remained neutral. They virtually never support an attempt to get a ballot measure thrown off the ballot because they believe the voters ultimately ought to decide. But when it was absolutely determined that in fact there were anti-Semitic uh, attitudes attached to the proponents of the measure, they became outraged and believed that they had to, uh, to join in. And in fact, I don't know if any of you remember, but the person who actually wrote the language also wrote comic books that featured Monster Moyle. And if you look at them, you can see how sinister and barbaric the act was, was deemed. So here you have folks who, for a variety of reasons, do not believe in circumcision of minors. They believe that it uh, should be a voluntary 
surgical act when people are of adult age, that it is uh, en enormously painful and, and young children, infants shouldn't be subjected to it. They even believe, there's a subset that believe that it diminishes sexual uh, satisfaction. So there are all sorts of reasons that people may oppose circumcision, but the driving force, in fact, had behind it, as it turned out, anti-Semitic attitudes. And it is hard, therefore, not to see it as another attempt to label Jews, and in this case Muslims, really, as outsiders in the society, and we had to fight it, and we were successful in doing so. And I'm also glad to say that when it came up in Germany, they asked us for the playbook, and I think it was very helpful in addressing the issue there. Uh, these issues will arise from time to time, and we have to take them head on. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, we will do Q&A now. Thank you for your attention. And I know, uh, I mean, we have only done not even 2% of what we should have been talking about to even this evening. It is just so much you should talk about when it comes to anti-Semitism. We can cover it all. I hope we do something similar again next year. And But now you can ask your questions. Could, I'm going to come around with the microphone. And <laughs> I do want to thank our consul generals for coming out like this tonight. And Really, really engaging us such a powerful way. So I'll, I'll try to move around the room and alternate a little bit. Make sure your question is a question, not a long statement. My question is something I... Uh, pardon? Okay. Uh, my question deals with something that I, you came close to touching, but I, I never really heard it. The sense I get when I go to Europe, and certainly is that the Holocaust has, in fact, retrained a whole generation and it has become a sort of shield against uh, anti-Semitism. But what, is ha what was surprising to many people is the violence of reaction to Gaza and the number of liberal people, both in and out of the government, who did not raise their hand to the riots or anything else. If they weren't supportive of anti-Semitism itself, they certainly were quiescent. Why is that? I believe it's because one of the <laughs> no. Do any of you? All right, do any of you feel that maybe what's going on here is a change in the beneficial stereotype of the Jew as a good victim? And when people see uh, the nation of Israel acting like every other nation in the world, it shatters that beneficial stereotype in the same way that the, the Black Panthers, for example, shattered the benefits uh, of the Jew. I would like to comment on that because I think this is a very, very crucial question. Um, in my country, there are, uh, you, you can say that there are certainly different sides to what, uh, what actually um, specifies anti-Semitism. But when it comes to what happens in Gaza, that spills over totally into the debate, not only about Israel uh, and Palestine, but also it spills over into anti-Semitism, and we can see that immediately. We have, uh, in Sweden, there is, sadly enough, a tendency to, uh, uh, to always stay with the underdog. So we used to be extremely friendly with Israel. Well, all that changed when Israel became the stronger, the Goliath. In, uh, and uh, we have the... the uh, a lot of the leftist 
um, media are totally, <coughs> totally um, devoted to, uh, to Palestine and very, very uh, critical of Israel in every turn. And that spills over into anti-Semitism. In the digital media, you wouldn't believe what you can read. I'm going to go Rabbi, back. Just, just one, one other remark. Yes, uh, you, you're perfectly right. I mean, this is a huge, huge problem. And uh, you will see that these rises, these incidents of anti-Semitism or criticism of Israel, violent criticism in Europe, has been coming in waves. Whenever you had the pictures from Gaza, and the pictures are very, very strong. And uh, I remember this was, I think, perhaps with the third wave, with the first wave. And uh, I had my own kippah march in uh, not, not to show something to make, make, uh, make a point, but uh, I put on my kippah when I, when I went back to Germany uh, and, and a couple of days of war in Hamburg, and uh, just to see, is there really other incidents? Is there, nobody even looked, uh, yes, some, like, like somebody was ahead or whatever looked at it, but, but it was, was not, not, not a hostile look and nothing. So, so there was no anti-Semitism, but what shouldn't, one should not underrate the power of the images. Just in this time now, this time around, there was one day, when uh, one of the rockets hit uh, hit a gas station, I think it was somewhere in Ashkelon or so, and uh, and uh, so so the news actually started. Um, one of the rockets today hit hit a gas station in Ashkelon, and they saw the smoldering ruins of the gas station, and there was probably one people hurt in that attack, and then cut, and then the rest of the day, and it was you just saw flattened buildings, you saw the uh, 10, 10 dead children. You, one should not underestimate that. And uh, you should always ask yourself, I mean, why did the Hamas, why did the others, why did they send hundreds and thousands of rockets over a very, very long time into Israel? This, there was no military advantage to gain. It was only to finally force the Israeli government to lash back. And they waited for a very, very long time. They were very patient. And then they hit back, and then exactly worldwide, the reaction the Hamas was banking on was happening. I, I promise very I'm not going to make a speech, but I do have two questions and one comment. Oh, okay. I will make two. I will make my one of two. Okay. My question is, who of you can explain to me and maybe to others how it happened all of a sudden such a high wave of anti-Semitism in Europe. I was in Europe many times. And the same question, who can say how optimistic you are, how soon you people from Europe and we people here helping you can solve this problem? And one comment to this gentleman. He was upset. I want to say it. I was in German seven years ago, cruising. And on the ship, all the service people were young German. And I was stunned how educated they are in terms of Holocaust, how nice they were. And when I asked them how, I, I told them I'm Jew. And they said, because it's how we were educated in school. So he's right. <laughs> so I, I'll add to the question then. Um, 
You talked about the development of anti-Semitism in Europe that's still there. All of you talked about the immigrants having responsibility. Uh, and I think some of them are now two generations immigrants. You can't be an immigrant in the second generation. So what are you doing to integrate them in terms of your values as opposed to saying, oh, it's not we X, it's people who moved here two generations ago? try. Um, we have, uh, again, uh, no, I will do it like this. Um, we have first made a mistake. Uh, we thought we should have a multicultural society. Um, and for a long time, this went all right in Europe. But then there was, there was a group that didn't, was, aim, was not aiming to integrate and kept their language and kept our culture, kept our passport, and those were the, yeah, the people from uh, the Mediterranean area. And uh, now, what are we doing? Uh, we are having a very heavy program. You, you are now obliged to speak Dutch before you even enter the country, even if you have a marriage proposal by a husband or a wife. First, you go back to the country, you learn Dutch, and then you come to country. Not only Dutch, you have to do an exam. Today I had a lady, I looked at the exam to become a Dutchman. Well, I failed the test. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, one of the solutions, I guess. Hi. In, in your all of you talked about integration as one of the things. So could you please comment how you go about integration if you allow Sharia law to be uh, practiced in these various countries? Because that just completely isolates people again. Does any country allow Sharia Nobody, law? It's, it's actually, it's, it's the Sharia is not, the Sharia as such is not practiced. For instance, I can just talk for Germany now. But uh, we had one incident one last year in a court. Uh, a Muslim perpetrator, I think he mistreated his wife, whatever so, and he got off very, very leniently because the judge said, well, he comes from a tradition where Sharia would have allowed him to do this and that, whatever. So, and there was an uproar in Germany. You know, this is something that uh, well, one shouldn't give in. You know, you give in one inch, you know, and the next day, you know, it's it's you give in more. So, it's uh, this is something that that should not be discussed, actually. Hi, uh, I. This is a question to whoever feels uh, I don't know, best able to answer it, but. In America today, I just recently graduated from university, you see a rising uh, anti-Semitism on college campuses. And we have, or you all discussed the line between the rights to freedom of speech and the boundaries of when it crosses into anti-Semitism. And I was wondering the stances of your governments or how you personally feel as to getting involved in ensuring that anti-Semitism does not, you know, override college campuses and academia in your countries. Mm -hmm. 
so we can, uh, this is a, of course a very difficult question, what, what, what can we do personally? I can tell you, for instance, uh, what, what I did in, in, in formal postings, I was posted in, uh, in, in New York and I initiated a school exchange between Jewish communities in, uh, in the New York area and Philadelphia with Germany. So, so we had since then, since 2001 now, every, every year there are about 20 Jewish kids going over to Germany, to Berlin, and 20 Berliners coming over. And this is something like it's snowballing, you know. They, the German kids are for three weeks in, in these Jewish congregations, and the Jewish kids are in the German schools. So this is not just, they don't just meet these 20 counterparts, they meet 40, 60, 80, 100 other people. So this is, for instance, one of the things, if you ask me what do I do personally, this would be one of the examples. And if you ask um, for the role of government, there are some really good programs, especially in Berlin, uh, on, um, um, on, on, on the city level, uh, where, for example, uh, Arab kids and, and Jewish kids meet and talk. This is done by a group, and uh, which is headed by a wonderful, wonderful Muslim guy. The problem of all these uh, groups is even the government says they are supporting it, and there is just no money for things like that. So um, everybody says education, 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 which is true, but then there's no money for it. And that is where um, most of these groups who are engaged in programs like that, be it at schools or be it at universities, complain about. We can't do what we would like to do because there's no money. I just want to add a couple of things. One is when we meet with university administrators here, for example, in the Bay Area, one of the things we say is protect free speech on campus, including your own. Don't develop a case of laryngitis when incidents of hate and anti-Semitism arise. And so one of the things that I would say is also critically important in Europe is that along with the responsibility of protecting free speech is the responsibility to speak out forcefully and speedily and loudly when incidents of hate rear their ugly head at the earliest stages possible because otherwise it will take root. The second thing is I believe in a full court press. Jewish students often feel vulnerable on campuses. How do you minimize that vulnerability? You can't eliminate it necessarily absolutely. But how do you minimize it? By making sure that the administration, law enforcement on campus, campus media, other groups on campus, the Jewish professionals on campus are all part, the faculty are all part of a system of safeguarding the minority students, including Jewish students, including pro-Israel students on campus. And again, I think there's an analogy to what is critically important in Europe. The only way to address these issues from top to bottom or from bottom up is a kind of full court press to minimize that sense of vulnerability that so often is experienced when you feel alone or under attack. Just two examples. One, one is that uh, the government and the communes, the, the, the on the federal and the communal state, they invite lots of survivors to come to Germany to talk about their experiences and they go to the schools and they reach many kids. And then there is one other thing that I, f I find myself very moving and when, when I walk in, in Berlin, you know, this is, you, you'll find that it, on every block actually, it's called uh, stumbling stones, Stolpersteine. This is uh, in front of buildings where uh, Jews had lived and uh, they were deported from there and most of them sent to Auschwitz and died and to other concentration camps. There are the little stones like in the cobblestones 
And they took out one of these stones and took one of these stumbling stones in, pointing out the name of the, of the person and the birth date and probably the, the probable uh, death also and where. This is something where you're constantly reminded it's in your everyday life also what happened. Yeah, to the I European just, uh, consuls, since 67, uh, uh, your governments and the European community have given hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of euros, to uh, support Gaza. And some of that money has gone to buying rockets and arming Hamas and uh, for building tunnels. And some of your institutions have been used as human shields. And what are your governments and the European community doing now to make sure that doesn't happen in the future? I can try to give an answer. Uh, being, having been an EU officer uh, for quite some time, by by not giving money, but giving bricks uh, for to build houses, or to give food to have eating, and not to give money. And, and perhaps yes, those mistakes have been made, uh, not only in um, Gaza Strip, but in many other countries in Africa. In Asia, we've done this, make the same mistake. So that, that will be my answer. We have time for one last question, and then people will want to stay afterwards, I'm sure. And, and we'll be willing to stay and talk to people individually for a little while. I think the baseball game's over. Is it over? No? <laughs> Almost. All right, so one last one. Unless it's 22 to nothing. Thank you all for being here. I'm Lynn Davidson. I'm a reporter with the J Weekly of Northern California. I'm a reporter with the J Weekly of Northern California, and I'm hoping that several of you can address this question. To what extent have your government's responses to current anti-Semitic incidents been hampered by fears of appearing either racist or of losing Muslim votes? I could say not at all. Not at all, not at all. This is something that, uh, I mean, our chancellor was at this uh, at the in, in middle of September at uh, at that demonstration in, in Berlin, and she spoke very forceful, and uh, she said exactly the same things. Also, this was not something for international consumption or whatever. So we uh, we met with her at our ambassadorial conference uh, only four weeks before that in in Berlin, and she was absolutely outraged. And she used uh, the same clear words, and uh, there was absolutely no thought about uh, a Muslim vote or uh, endangering the support of certain segments of the population. Uh, the demonstration against anti-Semitism in uh, in Berlin on September 15th. Yeah. I mean, from a small country that really wasn't even part of World War II, and uh, we took the spoils of the Holocaust. So we come from a different side in a, in a way. But I can tell you that even with the, uh, the um, uh, new, very ultra-right-wing party, uh, the government takes a very, very definite stand against racism, against anti-Semitism, all the way through. So when I talk to uh, the Committee of, uh, Against Anti-Semitism in Sweden, are they worried that, that the government would not be able to stand up and they say, no, we are not worried about the Swedish government not being able to stand up. Mm -hmm. 
from what we see, from what our research show, and from the reports we get from our ambassadors, um, I think it's true, um, as my colleague said, that on a higher level of, of prime ministers or presidents, um, it's not yet the case in most places, but when we, call, when we talk about local government, sometimes mayors, sometimes local officials, uh, on a lower scale elections, it certainly plays a role. Um, and again, I'm not referring to the countries that are necessarily represented on this uh, table here, uh, but certainly in other countries, we've seen that uh, happening very often. Um, the, uh, the but, but it's happening in this country too. It's happening in this country too. I served in Chicago and I've seen in the area of Dearborn, Michigan, uh, how the votes and how the representatives that are elected are affected by who's the majority. So uh, we, I don't think it's, 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 it's okay to say that it's not affecting elections. Uh, I don't know where it's going. You asked about optimism. I think you have here near this desk uh, a group of professional optimists. Uh, we are diplomats. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly this debate is, is important and uh, the, the rise of influence over local government or local officials is certainly something that we need to note. Yes, I just want to answer that uh, also as for Hungary. Uh, the, uh, the Fidesz government is absolutely not intimidated by, uh, totally rejects the, the Yubik, uh, Yubik group and is absolutely fearless in making statements, whether it's to the UN or UNESCO or uh, um, our president went to actually to um, Auschwitz uh, last year uh, with the March of the Living and uh, it's on the embassy website, it's uh, on the ministerial level, it's on the local level, that absolute uh, 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 rejection of all uh, hate speech, uh, and so it's very, uh, very forceful. Uh, to the young man about the university, I want to say that Hungary is very lucky because George Soros was very generous and established the Central European University in Budapest back in the 1990s. So we were the beneficiaries of a very American-style open campus, which became then the, the model for many of the universities. And uh, there are regular programs on, on these issues. And in fact, last October, you know, we established the Lantosh Institute, Tom Lantosh. And uh, last October, in the parliament, we had a four-day conference where people from 40 countries came on just this particular issue, uh, the rise of anti-Semitism in modern Europe. So these are issues that are regularly debated on campuses. And on an optimistic note, I do want to say, because we're professional diplomats, but also all of you, I think, have known Tom Lantosh, who was my personal friend and my, my uh, uh, congressman from, um, for over 20 years, uh, that uh, in uh, September, I was invited in Budapest to a naming ceremony at the Jewish Community Center uh, for a Tom Lantosh synagogue in, uh, in Budapest. And so um, that's, uh, that's my, uh, my contribution because I think the Jewish community, in regardless of your big and regardless of whatever else is going on, is absolutely thriving in Hungary. And synagogues are rededicated one after another and we have 24 active and two more being built. And the uh, Jewish community has always been a member of, of the, the Hungarian community ever since Hungary was started. 
So I'm, I'm optimistic. I think somebody asked me that, where is the optimism in this lady? said, I think that the Jewish community is very resilient. Uh, uh, and, and many do come back, many do come back to Hungary, and I know that because, um, you know, I, I can handle, the, as an honorary consul, I can handle the registration of children. And so I, I do know that our Jewish co uh, population is growing. So uh, in that sense, I'm, I'm very optimistic. And that note, I do want to add that our president, incoming president of the synagogue couldn't be here tonight because he's at the dedication of the new museum, the Jewish Museum in Warsaw. And something that, who would have thought 20 years ago that it'd be the dedication of a Jewish museum in Warsaw. So pretty amazing, uh, Jews, uh, 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 Jewish population growing in Germany, in Berlin, uh, all over Europe. So there are things to be optimistic about, but we know also there are things that we didn't think we had to be worried about that we do have to have open eyes about. And one way of helping to uh, uh, improve the world situation is to have dialogues like this. So again, we want to thank you so much for coming tonight and to be here with us and we're willing to do this stuff. I do also want to thank the, uh, um, the ADL and JCRC for participating with us as well. Thank you for coming to teach us. Next month, November 21st, we'll have a scholar in residence. Art Green will be here teaching about Hasidism. So come study then with us as well. There's coffee and cookies outside. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, no, no, I've been, uh, when I was at the AJC, then, then I, I wasn't Stuart, so, so I'm just from there.